first, we want to welcome you to MLM, Multi-Level Motivation. I'm Mary Lynn. And I'm Miles. We are a mother-son podcast duo. And we are bringing our unique experiences alongside experts to all level up together. And today we have Paul Porter, author of Blackout, BT music programmer, radio station. Is it executive owner, programmer? That I get confused on. What's your role at the radio I, station? I got a little, I'm an owner of a station in Orlando. Why? Oh. 98.5. We're a little nonprofit. Nice. Do good people's work. That part I was, uh, I had to get a little clarification on. So, you know, I really wanted to have you here today because. You know, we got to know each other through a social audio app called Clubhouse, and you were somebody who really encouraged me to use my voice. And, um, you know, I feel like without some of the encouragement, I may not have stepped out on a limb. And so I did want to thank you for that. And oh, <laughs> just, oh how sensitive. Uh, no, but but you're right. Everybody's got to talk up. You know, I've been good over the years of you know, working on issues for people, with people. And it all starts by you doing it yourself. And, and, you know, we look at so many people and idolize them, but we don't do the same work. And that's that's what you do when you honor somebody is do the work that uh, you've come to appreciate. And that's what we want to do. We want to bring like, you know, I couldn't really figure out how or whatever until I was in uh, one of the clubhouse rooms and somebody was talking about purpose. And I'm like, oh, nobody wants to hear my story. Oh, you know, just another this or that. And then he said, he gave us a scale one to 10. And he said, you know, you might not be at a 10. You might not be a millionaire, billionaire, whatever. Some of these people you idolize. But you can be at a five or a six and reach down and help somebody who's at the one, two, three, four level. And I'm like, holy cow, that's it. That's what really gave us the concept here to help people, you know, who may need some tools to get to the level we're at, but then also all growing together. And I guess that's kind of where I want to start with you is that you know, you had some high profile positions and as a young man, you had, what drove you to that? Like, were you driven? Was it, you know, just your passion? Was it the money? What drove you to really want to um, go down that path and, and, you know, get some of those higher profile positions? I, I, I just seen things, you know, I, I grew up in Queens and um, in my book, Blackout, I really sort of break it down. But when you're young, and you get to see people doing things you never thought of, it makes you want to do it. Like my my best friend growing up, his father married Nina Simone. That's what you were. And, and we would travel on the weekends to his dad's house, and they had the big Lincoln Continental and the big house. And I was like, I want to know what Mr. Stroud did. And he sort of mentored me into the music and you know, one thing led to records, a DJ, and the BET, a television show. But it's just, you know, when you started early, it's in your blood, and it, it just keeps growing. And it's funny you say that because um, I think exposing people think, oh, you know, exposing kids to 
the lavish lifestyle or showing them this, it's going to make them feel bad. But I think that if you take your kid around maybe and drive them and show them the big houses or the big boats or the whatever, you can actually inspire them to like, let's get curious. Let's figure out what these people are doing it, doing how they did it. And, you know, kind of um, a, what's that visualize themselves. So I like that. Um, and then, you know, from there, the thing is, you had kind of a turbulent career at some points where I know you got, you had a success and then get fired and then having success. Yeah, but that is so much life. Right. You know, the, the problem is that we have this storybook, you know, thought pattern, like that, first of all, life is fair and it's not, you know, but that doesn't mean I got to work not work harder to get where I want to. So anyway, it, it, it's been a process and everybody has falls. And, and that's how, that's what determines your success, how you get up from them. And they all kick your butt if it's the love relationship with the first girl to the second to the 10th. I don't care. Everybody hurts and everybody's got to deal with it. And I just try to express my pain in the book because every time when you hear and hear these life stories about industry, it's always, yeah, I went from this to the hood to making money, but it's not all the steps in between where you really learned how to do things. So uh, I try to be open and upfront. And I think people understand that, you know, I grew up in the music business in the eighties. I snorted half of Peru. You know, I mean, cocaine was like the thing back then. I, I got a special on C-SPAN. If you get a chance, look up uh, Paul Porter Blackout. They gave me 90 minutes in D.C. And I tell this story. I was going to my coke man's house in D.C. I get there. He, he opens the door and he had this couch. And on the couch was Mayor Marion Barry, John F. Kennedy Jr., and Jim Vance, who was the anchor from NBC TV, as high as three kites. And all three of those guys are dead. You know, so I look at some of the things that I've been through, and I, I wonder, but I know it's part of my story. So, uh, you know, I can deal with it. Well, that's, and I think that was kind of the point I was getting at is, yeah, you know, you maybe had some, what people would air quote, you know, making air quotes, consider a fall, but it's not, we'll all fall. It's how you pick yourself back up and go again, knowing that that is part of life, part of your journey, part of your story, part of the next chapter. And sometimes what ends up on the other side is even bigger and better. Yeah. Uh, oh, no. Look, I've been hired by the best in this business and fired by the best. And would I do it again another way? Nope. It's made me feel good. I still can grow hair. <laughs> uh, you know, my blood pressure's good. My A1C is perfect. So, you know, and it wasn't all the time. I carried a lot of stress. Matter of fact, I was 80 pounds heavier at one time in my life. You know, so it's, but I got lucky. I played basketball in college and my coaches in the Hall of Fame and my teammates in the NBA, blah. So I, I got the hit records. I got a record with a hundred million 
you know, streams and views. So I, I've got to do everything on different sides. I, I just don't want to be a programmer. I just don't want to be a fan. I want to understand how the business side works, how the publishing checks and the royalties. And, and that's what I think everybody, you know, we get locked into thinking we have to do it a certain way. And my path has been backwards, but I'm happy with it. So I know that everybody has their own path to walk. I'm very curious because of your experiences and your tenure in the music business and the other ventures that you've gone into as well, being around athletes, rappers, artists, executives, and everything in between, is there a consistent through line that you notice with people who are successful, those people who can rise above average that maybe they all follow or something that they all share in common? Or is it truly just everybody's different? They got to find their own way. I, I think everybody has their own story, but the good ones that last, you know, I've been in the music business 45 years now. And, and I see the difference of the guy. I, you know, there were two guys that uh, I managed, uh, Derek Angeletti and uh, Ron Lawrence, who did all the Biggie records back in the day. They were called Two Kings in the Cypher. And they're both totally different guys. Ron went on to produce Luther Vandross, Gloria Estefan, and, um, you know, uh, D. Dot Derek Angeletti, he's just the opposite. He stayed in hip hop. And, and, and it's just funny seeing how people grow and, and change because the industry changed and the hip hop records weren't working. But if you don't, if you're not ready to make moves, you know, technology changes everything like that. You know, you are a car salesman and now people are buying it off of Carvana, you know. Well, some of these things we can't predict. And we I thought I'd be on the radio forever. I started doing BET and I thought, but nothing lasts forever, that's for sure. I don't know if I answered your question, but I did go on a roll. No, no, I love it. I'll, I'll take it. I'll, I was saying um, those people who did make it, was there anything that you saw that was consistent between them? Even though they went on their own path, did they all wake up early? Did they all go to the gym or something like that? I, I think all of them know how to disconnect. Okay. Like, like this, my industry is a whole bunch of stargazing. And if you don't put in the work and know how not to go, you never gonna make it. If you're trying to go and do everything and be everything to everybody, you can't take them all. And that's the problem. Uh, that's been my big biggest problem. Sometimes I reach out for folks and I'm not ready to give a hand. Mm. You know, I haven't done enough work myself to be lifting people up. And that's that's where I think people go wrong. And it's funny when you say that with basket, and I've got to know a lot of basketball players from the beginning to the end and seeing folks go broke, you know? And, and it, it's hard. Most people fail. When you talk about long run success, you know, 10 years plus, oh, the odds are not good, you know, not good. Well, I think that's part of it too, is um, 
One is you have to know how to reinvent yourself. So you were saying you wanted to learn like the business side of it, right? So you can't just be one thing all the time. You have to constantly learn, know how to reinvent yourself, learn a business side of something. It's not just all, you don't want to get locked, like you said, into the producer side. And I know that, you know, I've heard you talk about your voiceover acting even. And can you do the AT&T line for us? (laughs) Hey, you know, it's funny that you talk about voice acting too, because so many times I work with a lot of artists that people that want to be in the music side. And it started as a joke when I went to a studio with all these people, rappers working on songs. I said, you know, you guys could be auditioning for commercials, hundreds of commercials right out of that same audio booth. You know, here's how to do it. And I started a program down in uh, Boynton Beach, teaching um, some kids online. Then we started it here at the Y. And, and one of the young ladies who was 17, she learned enough that it took her a month, but she booked a $4,000 voiceover spot from her home. So it can be done. <laughs> It can be done. You just got to try it and have no fear. That's the real deal. Well, I think that's part of the continued success is know how to reinvent yourself more than one stream. And something I've heard you say before is, you know, always learn, keep learning, you know. Yeah, but that's your circle too. What What's involved in your circle? You know, who who's your partner? Does your partner allow you to learn and get better? encourage you to do something or is it always about baby can we watch succession and do, you know so <laughs> i found out that it works out it all depends and i've loved people but they're not good for me you know it's it's you know it's life is a battle boy there's so many ways to get on it but you gotta really think and right now you know as i've gotten older things have gotten clearer it's like playing basketball and it slows down the game slows down like when I was in college we played at Syracuse and you know my gym in college it was 3,500 people Manly Fieldhouse was 10,000 screaming when I got up there I I almost peed in my pants it was so loud you know so you got to get in certain situations and then then you learn but you know, it's it, it's getting there and trying to get in some exposure on different levels because it, it's always tougher. It always gets tougher. Absolutely. I um, I like the way that you put it. You, a few minutes ago, you touched on you have to know what not to do. I would say 95% of people might not even know what, what you're referencing. I think so many times, you know, Everybody wants to win, but nobody wants to put the work in to do there. And they're trying to figure out where they should go or what they should say. Can you expand just a little bit on that for the people that have no idea? Like, wait, what? There's stuff I shouldn't be doing. There's a. There's a- uh, well, well, let me just put it. I, I got this problem. So I have a radio station and, and, you know, part of the process is teaching programming and how program is thinking it works almost in any field. And a guy who taught me many, many moons ago in the seventies told me it's not 
what you play on the radio. It's what you don't play. Like when you get caught in uh, radio and television, we there's three categories, recognition, popularity, and fatigue. And when you test certain records, the ones that have heavy fatigue are the ones that nobody wants to hear at all. That's like dial changes. And, and those are the, the parts of your life you got to get out. <laughs> it's like a bad record. Like, Diddy, it's all about the Benjamins. It was a number one record when it was out, but nobody wants to hear certain records now. And, and that's what I say in life. Like, certain people, there's a timeline on people, you know? And I've grown up with people. I love Denise Davis. She's a Jehovah's Witness. We grew up together but I haven't seen her in 25 years. So I still love her, but we went different paths, you know? And I got some boys that I'm still tight with. You know, it's knowing where to position things and people in your life, but it's also trying to evaluate yourself all the time. And that's that's the toughest thing, being your own critic and knowing how you fit in with everybody else. You know, everybody's quick to point a finger and tell you, what you need to do, but when's the last time you told yourself what, you know, and I don't mean the, the basic, uh, you know, I need to lose five pounds or <laughs> buff up, you know, I mean, making adjustments in life where it's, it's going to really help you. That's huge. And I think that it is, it's so much easier to look at other people and point out their flaws. And I feel like a lot of times what people are doing is, they're seeing their own flaws in those people. So they're yeah. pointing out something they don't like, but they're really kind of talking about themselves without saying it. So then they never have to take accountability for it. And um, we've spoken all of 20 minutes. I, I, I don't know you well, but you don't strike me as someone who gets starstruck. But personal question, through everybody you've ever meet, met, was there anyone that you're just like, oh, that's that person right there, <laughs> like had you wide-eyed? Oh, wow. You know, like I got to introduce Michael Jackson and talk to him at like in the 90s. His career was sort of like fading, but I was like the biggest Michael Jackson fan. But I, but the same thing, man, I've met all the basketball players, the, the recording artists, you know, I did, I did shit with Whitney Houston back in the day, you know, so I gave Stevie Wonder condoms in Africa, you know, when when he had hookers in the room, you know, but nah, it's, I've never been starstruck because I know what stars mean. Uh, I'm people struck. Like mm -hmm. there's certain people that do, do nice things for people when, when it's unexpected, like that means a lot to me. And, um, you know, and what are you a star for? For making a lot of money right. or doing a lot of good deeds? You know, there's, there's different things. So, yes, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I'm not overwhelmed by meeting anybody. I, I, didn't, I didn't get that vibe from you. Is yeah. there something that you would see in all these different people that you met where they had what people say, quote, unquote, is it? As in terms of, oh, that person, they just have it. Like, they that I couldn't do that because they got it, whatever they're blessed with, that kind of God gave it. Yeah, well, I, I think that's the case when 
when people have that gift of gab, you know, like when you can go into a room of 20 people and everybody knows who you are, you know, that, that, that seems simple or it doesn't seem big, but I get to talk to a lot of young people and I always tell them, you got to speak to stand out. You got to make your mark. I, I just did this thing up at Harvard. Bunch of kids, all great Harvard Law students. I remember one because she came up to me and we had a 10 minute conversation. I remember one name out of the whole classroom and I know it went well, but they were more concerned to talking to Lupe Fiasco because he came than advancing their own career. Anyway, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we get caught up in, in that glow and it's, it's, you know, it's the receptionist is more important than the GM that you meet today because four years from now, that receptionist started their own business and you're going to do business with them. So treat everybody nice. That's really simple too, you know? And I've seen people be asses with my kids, mm -hmm. you know? With my son, this I would take my son to the NBA. I did the NBA All-Star game for years. And people that I know like Michael Bivens once didn't give my son Miles an autograph, you know? And he came over to me, he was like 13 and he was kind of like crying. And I went back to Biv, I'm like, that's my son. And Biv went, ran back to him and said, hey man, I, I didn't know him. Miles, my son went, man, get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. And he's like his dad, like, I don't want to talk to you because somebody told you to be nice. Yeah. Are the cameras on, you know, and that's, you know, I got a, I know I got a BS meter. I can smell it and I, I will look you down and I'll figure it out. And I have no problem telling anybody get to step in, you know, or you're not good for me. And, and that's what I think I didn't do enough getting certain people out of my life. Mm. Well, it's funny. Cause I, you know, like I'm a, huge run DMC fan. And I mean, I could start with Peter Piper pick peppers, but run rock run, Humpty Dumpty. Right. And I was at a reception for the Super Bowl party and Jam Master Jay was still alive. And like, I had a friend went up and they gave him an autograph. I came up there like, not now, not now. I'm like, you know, I will never like buy another thing run DMC because of that one interaction. I won't watch runs house. I won't buy into any of that you know, because of that one interaction just spoke to me so much. Like, you're a face. That's what people remember. Right, right. I don't care where it happens. That, that, that's been carved in your heart forever. It's not what you say. It, people remember not like what you say to them, but how I think Maya Angelou, you said, but how they make, um, how they make you feel. Mm -hmm. And so just that one little nice, that could have gone so much differently. You know, um, it, it would have only taken a few seconds. And, but now I have that one negative thing because I supported him. I know all the words to all the lyrics. I got even the cassettes. I was a big fan and you couldn't have 30 seconds for me. And now I will support you. So it's like, it only takes, it only takes a minute. <laughs> so. Hey, I was roommates with Buddy Tavares from Tavares, anyway. Tavares. Yeah, I just saw him recently, but yeah, so, 
you know, what you're saying about being kind to people, just, it, it doesn't take much and it goes so far, you know, people remember how you make them feel. So that's huge. And what are you doing with the, I, I just was curious. I know you went to Harvard and you talked about, I saw it on social media and I was curious, what are you, what were you doing at Harvard? Uh, well, matter of fact, when I came out with my book, the Harvard Law School was the first person to book me for a lecture. And that was six years ago. And I've been back twice beside that. And they always have different panels where, oh no, of course it was Black History Month, I must say. So they always bring the Negro in in February. And <laughs> Black History Month is in February. And I'm appreciative. I go up there and talk and uh, get to meet some students and talk about the business of music. And, um, and Black Music Month is in uh, June. That's another busy month where a lot of schools do things that are a little different and they bring in so-called like i'm like not a normal speaker because like i use curse words sometimes and uh you know my nickname back after i got fired from bet was dj broke his shit because i was really bad you know times were rough i i lost my crib i you know i was sleeping in my bmw it was like rough but it's because I didn't make adjustments and I didn't plan, you know? That's why I'm a planning dude now. But, and I'm not saying that I'm not, I'm normal. Like, I got a lot of friends that have been through hell in this life, you know? And, and I don't think it's hell. I just think it's part of my journey. I've been able to do it my way. And that comes at a higher cost. Could I got one job and followed that? that blueprint to the top where you work hard and get this and then you're a partner. Yeah. But that wasn't me, you know? So, and I'm happy with it. If I died today, you know, y'all can say Paul Porter did it his way uh, got to it. say yeah. to many people. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too, is I don't think anybody, again, it's that theme. I don't think anybody escapes trauma. Everybody's going to face some sort of trauma. And, you know, it's how you pick yourself back up again. And so you said you were sleeping in your BMW and, you know, lost your job in your crib or whatever. And it's like, so now you've made adjustments. Now you're a planning dude, you know? <laughs> oh, and that's still a work in progress. I mean, you know, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse, you know? So that's what I noticed. If I'm not doing anything, I'm getting worse. And, and finally, I'm set up where... I might be able to be comfy for the rest of my life, you know? Congratulations. And yeah, that that is like nothing that I really planned on. Because like I always tell young folks, that gap from 40 to 60 comes real quick, you know? It comes, I just went to my granddaughter's first birthday in March. And I was telling my son, who's 42, that, you know, Miles, you got to... I'm telling you, it comes real quick. And daddy's about to go spend it on a new cabriolet. So don't figure this out, you know? And and we always have these, I call them the blue sky plans that, you know, I'm working on this project for residual income. And well, guess what? If you got no income, that's your residual income is getting some income to save, you know? and, and 
you know, we all can work. Yeah, I don't care where or what time, but, uh, you know, when I got to Northeastern, I had a basketball scholarship, but that first night, I worked as a proctor midnight to eight because I have no cash, you know? So I'm always never too proud to work, but you know, it's a different era now that people want to work for different things. And I don't know how I got on that subject. Maybe I'm trying to see if your son's a hard worker. He is, of <laughs> course, he's a miles. We have our okay. only, yours is the Y, mine's the I. Okay. Right, so <laughs> yeah, he is. He's a he's a hard worker, and I'm very proud of him because I mean, you know, first off, how many 27 year olds want to hang with their mom and do a podcast, right? So yep. that's no, pretty no doubt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, and um, the thing is, we want to bring motivation to people. We want to bring inspiration to people. We want to, you know, talk to people who have been there, done that, can impart some wisdom. And, you know, so we're just having a conversation. We're not super scripted. We want to be authentic. So anything you want to talk about, it, we're good. So um, he is a hard worker. What would you say you attribute that to? Because honestly, I wasn't always the hardest worker. Um, I would say the hard work is um, attributed to the results, I would say, whether it be, you know, cleaning toilets at condos to selling cars on the lot or anything in between all the jobs and adventures I've had. I never worked hard and it didn't pay off in some fashion, whether it's something that I learned and I could apply it to something else or actually financially in my bank account. I never put in the time and the effort. And then at the end of it, I was like, well, that nothing came from that. It was always something I could take away from it. So it's just the proof is in the pudding with me. I, I just, I know that, if you don't work hard, you're guaranteeing, you know, it's a quote and I'm going to butcher it right now, but it's um, that I kind of live by. It's um, working doesn't um, guarantee success, but not working guarantees failure. So, and I think that's kind of, if you're not working, you, you're going to lose. Right? I, I know my saying was work smart, not hard. Mm. You know, sometimes we, especially with the older folks, uh, the, the generation before me, they were just into like working until their hands got raw and I worked 18 hours and, but yeah. you know, uh, it's gotta be a combination of both, both worlds working smart for the money and working hard. Like you said, I just got a question for you. You're 27. So musically, were you influenced by gangster rap? Because this is what I talk about, the impact on culture and what music, you know, music has power. In my book, Blackout, Blackout, uh, the meaning of definition of blackout is a temporary loss of consciousness. And I think culturally, hip hop, and I love hip hop, I just think it lost its balance. So it got really gangster and really hard and you're 27. So you got to see it all. Like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, those are your favorite songs. Like, how do you feel about the music? Uh, do you have a love and passion for it still? Yeah, music is definitely my favorite thing on earth. I would say like, I, I, I love multiple genres, but hip hop and rap would be my favorite for sure. 
I would say to touch on the influential part of it, gangster rap didn't influence me, but I believe it's very influential. So I'll go out of my way not to listen to Future in the morning or to, you know, Ice Cube in the morning because that's going to set the tone for the day. That's going to make me there's times where, you know, I knew of people doing bad things in the streets and they would throw on a certain song or something to get them in that mood or hyped up or they want to emulate that. Um, so I think it influences people and it, it might make you want to go outside and do something, but it never influenced me because I always did feel that balance. And if I'm about to go into a football game, you know, I'm not going to play, I don't know, J Cole or, or, you know, Erica Badu, but yeah. I, I'll throw on something, maybe a little, more gangster rap to get me in that like killer mind state. I just, I'm lucky I had an outlet to do something else with it. Um, and I know even down to the gigahertz and how the music is mastered and mixed in the 808s, like they make you feel and vibrate on a different frequency. Yeah. So I think people should be really careful. Um, um, Cause I see it all the time. A lot of the things that people are doing is because of the music they listen to and they're trying to copy. Okay. Something. I'm glad you said that, man. Cause some people defend it. Some people say it has nothing to do, but it has everything to do, you know, to me. Music's always been that power connection. And I don't think music talks to people like it used to. Like there were certain artists that you you would hear and close your eyes. Like it's become a lot more visual and quick and quick. Like what I was talking about, recognition, popularity, and fatigue, these songs burn real quick. You know, there's not, before a song would last all was summer, right. like 12, yo, that was my joint. Now a DJ Khaled record that lasts three weeks and you're like, yeah. um, another one, no, I don't, <laughs> you know. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's a different time. Well, you know, you'll be proud of this. Um, so music was a big part of in our house, you know. We always had music playing and he'd go, he played like uh Ice Cubes, today's a good day. And I'm like, let me show you what that's from. And so I showed him like Isley's brother, Footsteps in the Dark. Like I always showed him where some of those songs came from. And I mean, you know, we we would put on videos and I would learn to dance with him and you know, we just always, music was everything. And that's why I really don't like sad songs because I feel like they make me sad. So if sad songs make me sad, why wouldn't gangster songs make you feel gangster? Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, music's been a big part of our life. So, um, you know, I it just... Uh, we're, we're definitely in the microwave era, as I've heard it been called before, where everything is just like, you know... Quick. Yeah, just real quick, how, you know, are people going to download it a thousand times today and you might never even see it again or whatever the case. And to me, I felt like I grew up in a transitional period of like music was really changing from going to like even take the record it, or there's like a certain warmth to it when you play it on a vinyl yeah. rather than maybe hearing it in your AirPods or something like that. So. Yeah even down to the sound, everything has really changed. Um, the music that I make, I made it a, um, I got this from one of my favorite rappers, name is Currency from New Orleans. He was, oh, yeah. Uh -huh. he, yeah, that's like my number one. I'm, I'm played it off like it wasn't, that's my favorite rapper, right? Um, he said that when he first started rapping, he was talking about, he was with Cash Money and um, 
uh, with Master P and who and, and the 504 boys, right? He was like in New Orleans, the two biggest record labels. He was on. He was a part of both at different times. He said he was talking about all that gangster stuff, and he's like, "I'm so glad that that didn't pop because I wasn't about any of that." And then when I yeah. finally found who I was, that's what took off for me, and now I can go to a show and be myself, and I I didn't invite all the rah rah. Yeah. To myself. You know, the funny thing is, it, it reminds me of one of my masterpiece stories. So when I was back at BET, I was program director. So Master P, he was breaking out and he brought Lil Wayne. You know, I got to sit with Lil Wayne and the Hot Boys and they were so raw back then. And a couple of years later, Master P disrespected BET and I dropped all his videos. Mm -hmm. So I get a call in my office. I tell this story a lot because it's funny. I, you know, back then I had a separate hotline and I picked up the phone and I hear a voice with that New Orleans accent saying, yeah, this is P. And it was speak to P. And I'm thinking somebody's calling me P like Paul Porter, but it was really Master P who was trying to curse me out. And he's like, this is P. I'm like, look, man, this is P. Paul Porter, man, what can I do? Yeah, you need to play my fucking record. Anyway, he hung up on me. The next day, Master P came, and this is when he had his bodyguards, his uh, weightlifters that were his bodyguards. And he came to the office, him and his boy, Boz, and they walked in my office. And back then I used to, uh, carry a Smith and Wesson 6906 when it was in my desk. But back then that's when Puffy got beat up and Steve Stout beat up, got beat up by Puffy. Anyway, so they came in the office and I opened my drawer. I said, this ain't gonna be no problems cause he had to wrestle with them. And they both started laughing and uh, Master P, he had a sneaker line at Converse and he brought four boxes of cards for me. So anyway. I don't know why, but I, I that New Orleans rap, that 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 dialogue is hard to understand sometimes. <laughs> but currency is dope for sure. Yeah, it's like its own language almost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you approve of my son's music choice. <laughs> yeah, because I've seen some of your choices online, so uh, I can't get with it. You you go to honky tonk to hip hop. Overnight, it's sort of scary. Pretty much, it's disgusting. I love country music. I love uh, hip hop. Like I will do. Like I'll listen to whatever. Uh, I like that big energy song or whatever. And then I'll go listen to like Keith Urban. I love. I'll go country line. Yeah, but you'll do it in the same night. That's the scary yeah. part. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I always do like different venues and stuff. Like a uh, evening of this. What. I'm not going to be going in my car from uh, Willie Nelson to Ludacris, you know, but maybe, who knows? But I wouldn't see it. So I guess maybe, uh, maybe, I don't know what it is. I just, but you, you know, it's weird is I don't love jazz and he's named after jazz musician and uh, I don't like gangster rap, but even though back in the day I had the NWP, um, so what was, NWA yeah. cassette, I had the cassette. So Anyway, music, yes. I, I'll i go country on yeah, in a heartbeat. Sorry. Okay, that's <laughs> cool. <All right. laughs> what, what, is, uh, what does Paul Porter listen to? Maybe on like a, uh, 
when you got yourself, I don't know if you, you like cigars or a drink yeah. or a car ride. Yeah, you know, it's funny, like in my car, I got a couple of hard discs and, you know, one says hip hop, one says uh, soul, one says, you know, I can be listening. One of my favorite songs is Donnie McClurkin, Stand. It's nine minutes. It's a gospel song. And then earlier today, I was just in the car listening to Biggie, Things Done Change. You know, I'm like backing it to, because like you said, sometimes there's certain records you want to hear when you know you got a 45 minute drive. Yeah. Don't want to hear the Isley Brothers. Right. You know, so I'm all over the place. But I'll also have, you know, 14 minutes of Sly Stone playing, you know, breaking out. Anyway, I I'm all over the place, but I I'm a big fan of R&B still. You know, and, and there's got to be some message in the music. But I don't mind banging heads and shooting guns either. You know, sometimes you got to kick somebody's ass out of here. I thought you were going to say banging heads like heavy metal because Van Halen was my first concert. Oh, okay. So I like, I, I like heavy metal too. So what can I say? I like music. But, you know, we're talking about... So we're going to put a little break right there. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I lost my train of thought. We have a little thing we can flag and edit. So I was just say, you know, like, what would you say was the biggest thing? I know you've seen a lot. You've had a lot of trauma around you. I know um, some stories of friends that you, you know, shared here and there. And even your own, like I saw you spring cleaning the other day with your U-Haul and stuff. It's like, at what would you say the one thing that you do consistently to get up? Now, we know that, you know, like, motivation is hard thing to keep going every day. And that's our whole thing is we're talking about motivation. What's something that you do through all the tragedy or through even just cleaning out the garage that gets you up, gets you going, gets you moving. And at this age, I think you have such a positive outlook. You're always learning, always talking to people, always out there on the road. There's gotta be something inside of you that gets you up and gets you going every day. Hey, I think it's, you know, when you were talking about tragedy, and I've always had some this crazy shit happen. And uh, it's, it made me think of my, my best friend's name was Garner Mahan. Two years ago in April, it'll be two years that he came to visit with pancreatic cancer. He had it for a year and a half, and he kept saying his bucket list trip was to see his boy. You know, we grew up in Queens. And Garner flew down here on the, uh, April 18th, two years ago, and I picked him up at the airport. Hadn't seen him in two years. He looked terrible. He looked like he was getting ready to die. And um, brought Garner back to the house. And, you know, I said, what you wanted to do? He said, man, I haven't ate in five days. You know, he, he was getting cancer treatment at Duke. And... Uh, he said, man, all I want to do is sip a beer and smoke a joint. Well, I had both of those for him. And uh, then I ordered Chinese food. He ate all the food. And he didn't throw up. And he was just smiling. And we talked and talked until about 1 o'clock in the morning. Went to sleep. And the next morning at 6 o'clock, he wakes me up. He, Let's go to Dunkin' Donuts. I want to get a sausage McMuffin. I'm like, oh, shit, what is going on here? 
And uh, we did that. We talked some more. And I had to do a radio show. So I dropped him at the pool. My community pool sat him outside. And um, all he wanted to do was go to the beach because he was a beach guy. And we were going to go to the beach. Sat him outside, told him don't move, blah, blah, blah. And uh, called him every 15 minutes and went back to pick him up 45 minutes later and drove up to the pool and he wasn't in the chair. I stood up and I see him face down in the water like he was standing up. And that shit, it was like right then I said, God, why fucking me? You know, I'm always thrown in these positions. I jumped the fence. He was basically brain dead. He died the next day. But what got me through that and everything else is that I learned how to turn it off and, and deal with myself. Like, I don't need to sleep with the TV on every night for company. Sometimes I got to listen to my own head and this, just understand how, like, you know, I told, we, we talked about my dog dying after nine years. That shit hurt me. That was like, four weeks ago yeah. and I cried for my dog more than I cried for like 90% of people. Mm -hmm. But like I said, alone time and taking advantage of, uh, uh, of really thinking life through and thinking how good you got it. You know, when my dog died, I was like, you know what? I had a perfect dog. No, it wasn't for 15 years. It was for eight and a half. But damn, you know, people bought me holograms and of her and my neighbors came by crying because she impacted people. And that's all you can do. But my biggest tip is learn to spend alone time. Like when I got fired from NBC, I went on my first vacation alone in 1990. I don't... I was going to stay a week. I only stayed four days, but that's when I started taking advantage of alone time. And now I do it in my house. If I'm riding my bike where I shut off everything and really think and, and understand that look at my blessings, you know, it's always easy. Like when I broke up with my old girl and I love her, love her. but anyway, I was like a little bitch. For a long time, I was really fucked. I was hurt because I thought that was the one, you know, I thought that was for life. But, you know, like I've seen life go right in front of my eyes a couple of times, you know, and I, I, I know you want it forever, but you can't have it forever and enjoy what you got. And the, the final story about my boy, Garner, I had to call his wife and they have been together 30 years. What do you do when you call somebody to say your husband's dead? And what stuck with me was her cool. Mm. I called Emily up and I said, Garnet drowned in the pool. You know, I was crying. She dropped the phone. I hear her drop the phone and I'm crying. And she picks up the phone like 40 seconds later and she says, Paul, do not blame this on yourself. 
Garner wanted to be with you more than anything else before he died. He planned it this way. Wow. And that that stuck with me, you know? And it made me feel a whole lot better because she's finding out her husband died and she's caring about me. And, and that's, that's it in a nutshell. Don't have me start crying up here. No. I know. And your dog's uh, Roxy, right? Diva. Diva. Where did I get Roxy? That's some strip club you were working at. Roxy. Right. That's, that's <laughs> Roxy. Diva. I thought you had like two names for like something. Nah. Anyway. Diva the Rottweiler. Me, I don't know. I'm sorry, but I do know she's diva now that you said it because I did see the hologram they made for you when you drove through those or wherever. And Jerry, Jimmy John's sub shop, they spent $300 for a hologram. Yeah. Oh, I was like, that lights up. I was like, they just brought that by because Diva touched them every day at the drive in window and at delivery. So, well, yeah. We had a dog, and I, I tell you, I, I cry more for my dogs a lot than people too. They are special, but you know, I think the takeaway here is really is treating people right, picking yourself up. You know, not everything is there to knock you down. Maybe it's to take you to the next thing. Um, don't wallow in that and spend learn how to spend time alone and reflect and know that, you know, um, that alone time is where you're going to grow. So I don't know if you have anything you're going to like. No, I, wrap up. I think that was a great story um, to end it on because that's something that a lot of people have gone through and then they can relate to and understand that what I see a lot of people doing is when those bad things happen, they try to get away from those feelings, whether it be drugs or alcohol or mm -hmm. it could be a strip club. It could be whatever their vices. Yeah. Something that they use as an escapism. And you're saying it's very powerful what you're saying sit in that, you know, and let those thoughts come to you because you have to deal with them and that's the best way to deal with them. Yeah, yeah, and, and overload on it, man. Get your cry on, it's okay. It's okay, And it, but think of the string, you know? And that's what pulls me up every time, the string, and knowing that I can punch somebody in the ribs if they messing with me. Like, I'm gonna be the one to sneak up behind you. Pow, you know, pow. <laughs> I, I studied a martial art called Bondo for like 14 years. I only have like three moves left, but I practice them all the time. You yeah. know, I practice them all the time because I want to be able to do battle. It's like, you know, not, and I'm not a killer, but I always want to be prepared. You yeah. know, if, a, if there was a home invasion, Everybody over Diva's height, you know, my dog was short. And I said, anybody over two feet two is getting shot. So don't move, you know. And, and I prepare for everything, you know. And sometimes we don't prepare for trauma, you know. So when it hits, we're not ready for it. Mm -hmm. And we're not prepared to be alone and dealing with things. So I hope, if nothing else, we all learn how to deal with things out of this nice conversation that we've had. Yeah. And I, of course, want to thank you because you like super encouraged me to just even. I saw some star stuff. Look, you know, Wendy Williams will tell you that she was my mentor, even though Wendy's having a tough time and Joy Ann Reed 
And I've always seen talent and have nurtured talent and said, yo, you got it. You know, I know you're listening to the people on the stage, but you can be on the top of the stage too. Like, go for it. We're so used to listening. We never do it. And when you told me you were doing this podcast with your son, I was like, get on. It took took about a year, but shit, that's what, and that's what it takes. You know, you build up some confidence and it's the long game. But if you're not at the table, you're going to be on the menu. Mm -hmm. So get at the table. And this is the microphone you sent me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, um, I I do appreciate it and, you know, we'll grow and we'll get better, but I think um, the encouraging thing is just to get started too. And so you were one of the first people to really encourage me. So for that, I'm super thankful and we're doing a little thing at the end of our podcast where it's like, are you team mom or team miles? And so we have like five little rapid fire questions. Okay. And you'll see whose team you're on. And then like at the end of our first season, we're going to determine the winner here. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. So are you run DMC or Isley brothers? Isley's. Isley's. Are you dancing or workout? Workout. Are you G-Wagon or Lambo? Neither. Okay, so scratch that. Okay. (laughs) Are you like a whirlwind hurricane when you come in a room? Or are you slow, methodical, cool? I can be both. Uh, Let's go with B. We'll go with B. Okay, so here's the tiebreaker then. Are you fruits or veggies? You know, I'm type two diabetic, but I'm really fruits. Okay. Even though I have a lot of vegetables, it's the fruits. I love fruit. All right. Well, you're team Miles. Okay. Which right. is appropriate since you two have a son, Miles. And so if there's anything you'd like to say before we go, um, you know, now's the time. We want to talk about your book. So how can people yeah. connect with you? Hey, the book is Blackout My 40 Years in the Music Business. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. There's a 90-minute special on C-SPAN. You don't have to buy the book. I make doo-doo off the book anyway. I make like $3 a book out of $19.99. I, but you make money in in lectures. Well, I'll make $10,000 at a lecture. So it's not about selling books and that's why when we always get deeper into things you know you'll you'll find out so much more everybody wants to write a book and they're thinking about making profit from a book mm-hmm. and that shit's impossible you got to sell a gazillion books yeah. but if you can go do 15 lectures at $7500 at the top colleges okay that's more than selling a half a million books at the Amazon rate, but um, you can reach me at Music Biz U on social media, on IG or Twitter, and um, I'm here for everybody. If I can share or uh, help you on your path, great. Cause it's gonna get paid forward by somebody else. And don't be scared to reach out to people. You know, it's it's really the easiest thing to do, and it's what's kept me alive by having a strong base of friends. Like, I got a good network of people. Like, if you ask me, do I know somebody in cars or 
aerospace. My brother-in-law does the Olympics. My so-and-so does that, you know, it, it always works out for me, but it's by building relationship and not always asking this being around, you know? So I'm glad to be part of this and, um, just keep doing it. Don't stop. All right. We won't. And Thank we'll you. hit you up again if we need anything. Yeah. Yeah. Hit me up. Hit me up. Hit me up for sure. And we appreciate you being in our network. And I just bought my son the book. And so you can you take his $3 and get half a cup of coffee. <laughs> but make sure you write the nice review, Mile. I got it's you. Only, it's only 133 pages. I got you. And folks read it in one sitting because yeah. it reads like a movie. And it's going to be a movie someday, I promise you. Awesome. I love it. All right, Paul. Well, thank you okay. for your time. Hey, thank you, guys. I'm Best probably going to follow up with you and see what you thought. All right. All right. All Let right. me know. I'll share. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.